Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. In week 8 of our James Faith in Action series, Pastor Kenny taught from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, about a living faith that moves us to action. You guys can turn in your Bibles to, uh, to James, the letter written by Jesus' brother called James. And uh, it's in the New Testament, right past Hebrews, towards the back of your Bible. And while you guys turn there, um, I want to kind of just remind us of some things uh, as we're moving into the end of uh, chapter 2 today. There's some things contextually that you need to kind of understand in this letter to understand all the pieces of it. And the first one we want to look at, again, is what I'm calling the anchor verse of this letter. There's an anchor verse, a verse which everything else builds upon, and that's in James uh, 1.4, where he says, I'm writing this letter so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So his goal in writing this letter, we need to understand, is that we would become more like Jesus. That's translation for complete, mature, lacking in nothing, is that we would become more like Jesus. That's his goal. And that should be our goal. We want to become more like Jesus. So we read the letter of James because he's trying to help us with our goal of becoming more like Jesus. And there's a, there's a context of maturity that he gives us in chapter 1, in James 1, 21, that we need to kind of understand as well. He says, Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. And the implanted word that's able to save you is what we call the gospel, right? He's talking about the gospel. And so there's this kind of picture that he gives us. If you want to be mature, if you want to, if you want to grow, think of a, 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 the analogy he's giving is kind of about like a farming or gardening. If you're, trying to, if you're trying to grow something in a garden, you need to get some nice soil, right? And if the soil's not nice, you might need to do some things to make it nice. Like pulling out some weeds, maybe uh, if there's poison in there, maybe doing some tests and maybe adding some miracle grow or something in there. You get the soil right, and then you need to plant seeds, right? And that's the picture he's giving us is uh, the soil of our hearts. If, if we want to see uh, us grow to maturity, we're going to need to get rid of the excess and the fill. Some, there's just some things in our life that we're probably going to need to get rid of, and we're going to need to plant the gospel deep in our hearts, and then God makes that grow. So that's the picture that James is giving, and, and, and so we're going to jump in with that, that being said into uh, James 2, uh, 14 through 26. Now, this passage is arguably the most controversial uh, uh, Bible passage, New Testament passage throughout church history, Right? Uh, if you remember back uh, in the 16th century, there was a thing called the Reformation, Martin Luther, and the, Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church had basically uh, really tied government and church together really closely to where it had, had, had gained some corruption, and Martin Luther and the other, other reformers wanted to go back to the heart of the gospel, the heart of, of ministry, and so their, their big claim was that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Right, And so in that, this passage, they wrestled with it. And, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they found beauty in it. And so we're looking at arguably the most controversial and I would say arguably the most beautiful and, and cutting right to the heart of the gospel 
in the whole New Testament. So I hope you're excited because this is going to be a good, a good passage. And so we'll, we'll pick it up in uh, James chapter 2, uh, verse 14 through 26. In James, Jesus' brother, writing to predominantly Jewish people that have been dispersed from Jerusalem because of persecution. They've kind of started their own little churches, and now he's writing them to encourage them to grow, to become more like Jesus. And he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now you can see the controversy when, when the reformers are saying, we believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith, in Christ alone. And then you have James and you're reading this and he's like, no, we're saved by faith that's shown by works. They wrestled with that and they come to some beautiful, some beautiful com- uh, 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 conclusions. Uh, and we're going to kind of walk through some of those this morning and see if we can learn the same things that they learned and see the beauty and the power in this passage. And there's three things we're hopefully going to learn this morning that will help us grow to become more like Jesus. And the first thing is this, is that we are not saved by our works. It's not what they're saying. We're not saved by what we do. There's nothing you could do to earn salvation. It's not what James is saying. Uh, What he's saying is that because we are saved, there will be some change in us. There will be some change in us. Just like, uh, have you guys ever uh, uh, experienced a great watermelon season? How do you know it's a great watermelon season? Oh, because you go and you buy a watermelon and it tastes super good. And then you go back to the store and you go, oh, it wasn't a fluke. There's all the watermelons I'm buying right now. How many of you guys have ever thought that you were really good at picking out watermelons? No, it's just a good watermelon season. You know, you got sucker. Because the next time you go and you think you got it all figured out, you want the round one because that's the male, has all the yellow things, and then you get one and it doesn't taste good. There's not always an excess of good watermelons out there. There's a good harvest and there's a bad harvest. And it's the idea that James is saying is that you could taste, you could taste it when it's real. Something happened that, 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 that shows you that, that it, it's a good season. It's a good harvest. 
And the second thing is that true faith is more than believing historical facts about Jesus. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, right? Imagine you, you, you told all your friends that you knew, you know, some famous, you know, musician or, or athlete. I, I, oh, yeah, I know them. Why? Because you Wikipedia them and you know all the facts about them, right? Or you have all their baseball cards. And then what if, you were, what if you were walking in the mall and all of a sudden they came by and your friends were like, hey, you know them, introduce them. And you would be pretty embarrassed, right? Like, oh, he doesn't know me. I just know some facts about him. That's totally different. And that's one of the things that we're going to learn about this idea of faith. It's in a person. Right? That faith is a gift that helps us take next steps in our walks. And so the first thing we'll look at, and this is in your notes, if you're, uh, if you're an OCD note taker, um, you're welcome. Here's your first fill in the blank, is that you can't earn your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. And so interesting, James in this letter, uh, he, he gives us an illustration of two people, right? Abraham and Rahab. I want to just, if, if, you, if you don't understand what that even means, you don't know the stories, you're welcome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill you in right now. I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes of the Old Testament. Okay? So Abraham is the father of our faith. If you go back in the Bible later, you want to write down your notes if you want to go study this later. In Genesis 12, we meet Abraham. He was a pagan from this, this area, not a godly man. And God meets him in, in, uh, in Genesis 12, and he makes a promise, a covenant promise to him. He says, I want you to go from this land of Ur, which is in, 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 in the, like a Babylonian city, one of the chief cities at that time. And this is about 4,000 years ago. Refer- I mean, if you're, a, if you're a, a, a Bible scholar, you might argue with me, but that's probably a good, a good uh, uh, estimate. Hey, 4,000 years ago, he's in Ur, Babylonia, and, he, and, he, and he, God says, leave your family and go to the place where I'm going to show you. Right? Can I like, like what's the coordinates? Like can I, can I Google it? Can I map quest it? Like how do I get there, right? I'll show you. And he has faith and he leaves because of who this person who's talking to him in is God. Not because he has the plan. That's, that's amazing, right? And then he, he makes this other promise. He goes, and I'm going to bless you and your ancestors. Now, Abraham's 75 years old in Genesis 12, and his wife's about 65, and they've already given hope, uh, they've given up hope long ago that they're ever going to have a son, which at that time, now it's, it's a big deal, but back then it was like a lot bigger of a deal to everybody. It meant a lot more. They didn't have a son. So the promise is you're going to have a son. Wait, I'm 65 and, and I mean, I'm 75 and she's 65. How's that going to work? And they believe. And then he says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And in Genesis 15, God does this weird, really weird thing, right? He, he makes this covenant with, with Abram. His name's Abram at this point. He's going to change his name to Abraham. With Abram. And he goes, uh, the, the, the land at that time, when you made a covenant, they didn't have a notary public. Uh, and they didn't have lawyers. So what they would do is, it's really weird to us, but it's 4,000 years ago. I bet if, if they got in a, you know, a DeLorean and hit 89 miles an hour and came 4,000 years forward, they would probably think we look weird too, right? Just, just put that in context. But they would slice an animal in, in half, put one side over here and one side over here. They would come to an agreement of, of what the agreement is, and they would pass through the animal. And the idea was that if you break this covenant you would 
what would happen to that animal would happen to you. And then they would cook the animal and have a big party. Right? It's weird. Some of you guys are like, that's why I'm a vegetarian. I get that. But, but here you need to understand this. This wasn't weird at that time. This was normal. This is how people acted in that time. It wasn't like God loves slicing animals. That's not the point. The point was this, that God meets you where you're at. That's where Abram's at. That's what he understands. That's all he understands. And God wants him to know, I'm meeting you where you're at. I'm going to do it kind of the way that you are normally do this. And, and then he has Abram fall asleep. And God alone walks through the animal. And it means God alone is making this covenant to Abram. The expectation isn't that Abram's going to be able to live up to this, but God will live up to this, and he always has. And then, and then he has a son. His name is Isaac. God answers his promise when he's 100 years old, 25 years later. Can you imagine waiting 25 years for anything? Right? I just want you to know, 75 to, 20, to 100 it's 25 if I'm doing my math right, right? That's a long time. Now he has this son, Isaac. And then Isaac grows up. And he's, a, he's a teenager. So now you're talking about like 35 or 40 years later. And God comes to, and he's already starting to fulfill his promises. And God comes to, to Abram and goes, I want you to take Isaac, take him up on the hill, and I want you to sacrifice him. What? And he takes his boy, who's old enough probably to take a 100-year-old. I mean, if you take a, like an 18-year-old against a 100-year-old, who wins? That's all I'm saying, part of it. And he carries this wood up for him, his son. He lays on the altar. He's ready to sacrifice his son. Crazy. God stops his hand and provides another animal to sacrifice. Well, the symbol, symbolism is, is that later, God is not going to withhold sacrificing his own son, Jesus. And, and God will provide the sacrifice. This is what we learn. And, and, and so James is like, when, when Abram took the knife and was ready to sacrifice his son, that's faith. That's the analogy he gives. And then he gives another analogy of this, this lady Rahab. And what, is the, what does the passage tell us about her? It's a prostitute. She's not a Jewish prostitute. She actually lives in the wall of Jericho. If you know the story, when, when, when Moses comes across the Red Sea, 40 years in the wilderness, doesn't work out to go into the promised land because they don't trust God. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that trusted God. The ministry gets t- passed on to Joshua, right? Joshua takes the people into the land. The first obstacle is Jericho, this huge fortified city. They walk around it a bunch of times. The walls of Jericho fall down. We've probably heard that song or, or learned that. But the idea is that Joshua sends two spies in to check out this, this, this walled city. Rahab, the walls were like apartments. Rahab lived and had her business in the walls. These, these, these spies go in. They meet Rahab. She catches them. You guys are Jewish. You guys are here checking out. Our city, everyone knows, like, you guys are, are, are out there, and you guys are coming, and we're, we're freaking out. Why? Because we've heard of your God. That's what she says. We've heard of your God. So she hides them. She hides them. And she, the only thing she asks is, when you come and God gives you this city, remember me and my family. And she hides them. That's the kind of faith that... James is talking about here in this 
passage. You can't earn your salvation. But here's the thing. Abraham had walked with God 25, 40, 50 years already. He's the expected one, right? He's the father of faith. He had faith. What about Rahab? The most unlikely. And has she been walking with God a long time? She's brand new. So it doesn't matter if you're brand new or you've been for a long time. It's this type of faith that James is talking about. And here's the thing. Both are not saved by their action. Their action showed the faith they already had. Rahab believed because she had heard about this God and she's like, I'm all in for that God. Whatever that God's up to, that's what I'm up to from now on. I don't want to be against that God. I want that God on my side. And I want to be on his side. That's faith. Abraham had had a longer journey with, with God. But they both have faith and prove it. by the. I mean, you bite into the watermelon of these stories and you're like, mm, that's a good watermelon season, right? That's what he's saying. So Paul talks about this idea in Romans 3.20. He says, for no one will be justified in, in God's sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So it isn't about the works that saves us. Not like you got to do these certain things in order to be saved. Tim Chester commentates on this passage. He wrote a book called You Can Change. Um, it's a great book if you're kind of stuck in, 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 with some strongholds and you want to kind of break those. Just a, a, a throw out there. You Can Change by Tim Chester. And he says this. He says, the law isn't meant to be the starting point for change. It's meant to bring us to an end of ourselves and so drive us into the arms of Jesus. In other words, when we look at the laws, what you should and shouldn't do, you, you, you can't just follow those and then now you're right. They're supposed to show you like, oh wait, I can't do that. I have a need. And Jesus is the answer. And it's supposed to drive you to recognize your need for Jesus. That's the intention of the law, what Paul says in, in, in Romans 12. And then he goes on, he goes, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, which Jesus said he fulfilled, right? The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Doesn't matter if you're Rahab, brand new, Abraham, long time. Doesn't matter what, what, what race you are, where you're from. Doesn't matter if you're from Zimbabwe or from Torrance, right? You, if you believe in Jesus, that's what you need. That's the, that's the foundation of our faith. So what you do and what you don't do matters a lot. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, what you do does matter. But why you do what you do is vitally important too. Because it shows the intentions of your heart. So Abraham and Rahab both did what they did because of who God is. Because they had their faith in this God, not in their works. They weren't, Rahab didn't earn her salvation by doing what she did. She proved her faith by doing what she did. And so the second thing in your notes is this. This kind of really gets at the heart of what is authentic Christian faith. So you go back to the Reformation in the 16th century, and they were wrestling with this, right? Like this says, James seems to say that you're, you, you need works. Paul seems to say that 
you don't need works, that works are dead, and, you're, and, and you just need faith. What's up with that? And a lot of this comes down to, they had translated the Bible into Latin at that point, and, and they had a kind of a misunderstanding of what it means to believe or have faith. And so they wrestled with this for a long time, lots of debate, lots of conversation. And one of the words in Latin, uh, it's the word fetus, fetus or fetus. And, and what they determined was that this, in Latin, in their culture in the 16th century, what it had kind of become was just this historical faith, this historical belief, a belief in, 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 in knowledge, in a, in a statement of, 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 of beliefs. It's just like facts. It's historical faith. And they had another word that they probably should have used called fiducia. And this word is trusting faith. And so with, with, with the Reformation, they said, no, f- true faith, true authentic faith is more than just, is just belief in, in a set of, of doctrines. You don't just say, like, if someone asked you on the street, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Sure. Right? Maybe one, at one point a preacher said, hey, if you just say this prayer and you say it right, then you get a free ticket to heaven that you could always hold on to. Right? He's saying like, that's not what faith is. Faith is something much more substantial than that. It's more than just historical faith. It's trusting faith. So Rahab had faith. I heard about your God. And what did she do? She put it into practice. It had fruit. Abraham. Believe God, right? Whatever God asked him to do, he's going to do it. Why? Because he believes God. It kind of shows the proof of this faith. And so James kind of ties into the same idea. And he says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Even the, even the demons have fighties. Historical fact. They know the facts. But they haven't put their trust in Jesus. It's different. So he says, you believe that God is one. What, what James is doing here is he's pointing back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you're Jewish in that time, you would have known the Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6. And it's, it's hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then it goes on to talk about you can teach it to your kids. Like that's substantial faith, the Shema. So J- James brings that up. Oh, you believe the Shema? You believe that God is one? Even the demons believe that and shudder. What is the application there? It's more than just learning doctrine. It's more than just knowing a statement of faith. It's more than just having the baseball card and knowing all the facts about your favorite baseball player. It's knowing him. It's knowing him. That's what James is saying. The demons know about Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ James and Paul saying the same thing. Authentic faith is something real and powerful that produces a harvest. What, what James and Paul are both, are both attesting to is the power of the gospel. What they're saying is, is that this gospel is so real and so powerful 
that if you implant it in your heart, and you've got to remove some things sometimes, like James says, you've got to get some stuff out of there, you've got to get the soil right, but as you do that, if the gospel takes root, it will grow into a harvest. How many of you guys think it's your job to grow? It is not your job to grow. Right? If you're the, if you're the, if you're the gardener, you plant the seed, what do you do from that point on? You wait. You can watch Netflix, it'll still grow. Because God makes it grow. You can't make it grow. You just know how to do the right things so that God makes it grow. Any of you guys know how a watermelon grows? Any of you guys think that you can make a watermelon grow? No, God designed it that way. God does that, right? We don't do that. And the same thing is true with our faith. The gospel is powerful to change. The gospel is this. You can have a relationship with God. You can. But not without atonement for sin. You can have a relationship with God and not without atonement for your sin. That's why we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And thankfully, He's given Himself to us freely as a gift. And so... Paul brings this up in Ephesians. He goes, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. You don't go like, oh, I made a cool watermelon. Please. You plant a seed and put a little water on it. God is amazing. Look at how he created watermelons. And we can actually put something in the dirt, put water on it, and it grows. That's why gardening's cool. It's fascinating. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing. He, I mean, you put a... <clears throat> you take a seed. I mean, go back to like, you don't know anything, and think about this for a second. You take a seed. You put it in dirt. You put water on it, and a watermelon grows. I mean, should we just worship right now? And then he goes on, he says in Ephesians 2.10, he goes, For we are his workmanship. The word in Greek is, is poema. It means like poem, or, or ma- we're the work of God's hands. If you, if you put a piece of clay in an artist's hands, and he like makes something cool, or we have this guy at our, I work for the fire department, and you just give him a piece of paper and a pencil, and he's an artist, and it is, he makes the most amazing thing. He drew a picture of me the other day, like a character making fun of me. I'm not going to show it to you guys. It's embarrassing, but it was awesome. I laughed my head off. Because he, with a pencil on a piece of paper, is a workmanship. He goes, and he goes like this. Paul goes, you are that workmanship. You're that workmanship. He's an awesome artist. Give him your life like a pencil and a piece of paper. Watch what he does. If your life turns out great, I'm a great artist. He's a great artist. All you did was say, here have my life. And look what he does. That's what Paul is saying. So he goes, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You don't, you you can't atone for your own sin. You can't do works. You need him. You're created in Christ Jesus for, for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. 
So the bottom line is that we are not saved by the things that we do. We do what we do because we are saved. Another way to put it is, is this. Salvation is not gained through works. Good works are the harvest of saving faith in Jesus Christ. They're the fruit. They're the watermelon that the world is going to get to bite into. They're going to see your faith. They're going to be able to bite into it. And they're going to be able to say, wow, that God is real. They're going to be like Rahab who goes, wow, I've heard of your God. I've seen your God through, through your community. I'm seeing, I see your God through community. Through what God's doing in, 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 in the Israelites. That's, remember that promise that God gave to Abraham? I'm going to bless you. And when you're living in my blessing... It's going to bless the whole world. Even Rahab, a prostitute. It's going to see the blessing of God through your community. And she's going to want some of that. Give me a piece of that watermelon, right? So what kind of fruit do we want to plant? What kind of fruit do we want to plant? And the last section I want to kind of walk through is some practical things. What kind of faith do you have? What's the goal? What kind of faith do you want? How would we describe the type of faith that looks like a blessing to the world. Like the promise that God gave to Abraham. We're supposed to still do that. Did you guys know that? God blesses us so that we would be a blessing. That's our ministry. To be blessed. How many of you guys are like, amen. But not for ourselves alone. We're to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. And so I want to give four suggestions. They're not all of the suggestions I could give, but just maybe we'll walk through four things. And so what we want is we want a faith that is greater than. We want a faith that is greater than four things. A faith that is greater than our own strength. How many of you guys want a faith that is greater than your own strength? If I gave you this task, hey, go grow. What are you going to do? I mean, you could grow a little bit, right? You could go through, say, oh, I'll read the Bible more. I'll start going to church. I'll do this. I'll do that. If you do that on your strength, you know what it's going to feel like? It's going to feel like your job is to take a boulder and roll it uphill, right? You could push it for a while if you're strong enough. You push the boulder for a while, but what's going to happen eventually? You're going to get tired and it's either going to run you over or you're going to be smart and you're going to get out of the way and you're going to lose ground. That's what it looks like to try to grow on your own. That is not the gospel. The gospel is God is in charge of your faith and it is not going uphill. It's coming downhill. Get out of the way and let God. Right? The gospel is that powerful that if you'll just tend to it a little bit, don't do these certain things. Deal with these certain things. Dig into the things of God. Let the gospel saturate you. Believe, trust, even when it feels crazy, just trust. Watch what happens. So it's a faith that is greater than our own strength. And the second one I would suggest is, it's a faith that is greater than our own agendas. Any of you guys have an agenda in your life? It's a faith that is greater than your own agenda. In James 2, 15 and 16, he goes like this. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. How many of you guys have ever done this? And I'm raising my hand twice. 
Like someone tells you, like, how are you doing? And then they, and they get honest, right? I just wanted you to say fine, right? How are you doing? Oh, you're going to tell me, right? I got, got stuff to do, right? And then what do we do? Got the solution. I'll be praying for you. And don't get me wrong. That is very powerful. But how many of you guys don't? You don't go pray for them. Really, you're like me, and the mission of your life is to get stuff done. The mission of my life, half the time, is just to get stuff done. I got a lot of stuff to get done. I got not enough time to do it. Not enough resources to support it. That's my life. And so I'm just busy, right, getting stuff done. And then someone comes along, and they're like, hey, I got, you know, I want to talk to you. And you're like, I got to get stuff done. That's your agenda. What if we had a faith that was greater than your agenda? Wait, I got to get stuff done, but God just brought this opportunity to me. He must have a better work prepared in advance for me to do. I'm going to engage in that. That's a faith that is greater than your agenda. It looks for opportunity in things that feel inopportune. What about a faith that is greater than your fear? How many of you guys have ever said this? If you've been a Christian for a while, I guarantee you, you've thought this. I would totally sign up for that marriage class, but I know if I sign up for that marriage class, I'm going to get attacked. And I don't really need that right now. Right? I, I, I know that I should take some steps forward, but every time I take steps forward, I get smacked by the enemy. Oh, I, just, I don't know if I could get smacked right now. How many of you guys have ever, maybe you don't say it out loud, but you've ever had that fear? I have. It's real. There is an enemy that's, that's going after you. But a faith that is greater than your fear doesn't go, what if I do that? What might the enemy's response be? No, if I do that, what might the gardener's response be? What might grow from this? It's a faith. It's greater than your fear. Your fear's real. But is your faith bigger than your fear? Are you giving in to that fear? I mean, think about all the fears Rahab could have had. What if I throw all my, all my eggs in these two strangers' basket? Literally, if you, if you read the story, it's in Joshua 2. You can read it later. Literally, right? And they lose. What will happen to me and my family? You think, you think that... that they're going to be kind to a prostitute who's a traitor. She had faith that was bigger than all her fears. She had a million fears. Abraham, this is my one son. I need to protect him because it's a promise. God made this promise to me. Now I have a responsibility to protect him. There's a fear. What will God do? But he trusts God because his faith is bigger than his fear and what about if our faith was greater than the world's treasures? And we'll have the worship team come back up. A faith that is greater than the world's treasure. Now here's the thing. Let's get real for a second. When you put your trust in the gospel, it is a lot harder. It takes a lot longer. You got to get dirty in the soil. You got to get honest. It's a lot. It feels like a lot slower and less effective of a, of, a, of a plan than what the world often offers. 
You want to be happy? Wait on Jesus to make me, give me joy? Eat a gallon of ice cream and watch Netflix, right? Wait for the woman or the man that God has for me to marry? Get on Tinder, right? So many of these different things, and we, there's this easy and there's the hard, but here's the facts, the world offers shallow answers that don't pay off the way that they offer to. God, the gospel, offers more substantial, more texture, more real and beautiful results, more than you could ask or imagine. What will you pick? It's a faith that's greater than the world's treasures. And so the writer of Hebrews says it like this. He goes, now without faith. And he's talking about Abraham in this context, by the way. The same thing James is. He goes, now without faith, like Abraham had, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, I'm choosing God, like Rahab did, like Abraham did, because he's the best choice. It's faith. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.